Well, I enjoy listening to your waffle. It's great. You've got some really good facts, so brilliant. I'm very glad that you call it waffle. I think that puts it completely into perspective. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly how I feel about it. I tend to, you know, it's... Uh, let's you could be kinder we could call it a a, a stream of consciousness if you yeah like. waffle <laughs> consciousness i love it waffle consciousness great it's a whole new term <laughs> i've just made it up just there i like that that's good we'll go for that um I, I, it's funny because i've been thinking of all sorts of things you know so what happens the process is that uh, when I have my morning shower, an awful lot of information sort of kind of washes through, if you like, and uh, um, and uh, I tend to find myself in a situation where I sort of uh, ideas start to gel and come together about the sort of things that I've been thinking about and studying. And so what I tend to do is I tend to um, uh, work on a particular subject. And for instance, uh, I got some interesting questions through from Colin the other day. Colin, we may or may not get to answering them, and I'm hoping that in the general generality of the sort of the talk, that the, some of them will get ticked off anyway, because they're definitely in the same subject area that I've been sort of researching in. And so I always joke that when I say to people, um, I, you know, I haven't read anything that doesn't have kind of, you know, Chinese in the title for the last 30 years. Even the kind of fiction books that I read have got something to do with China, you know, and I say fiction. I mean, I've just read a book about Genghis Khan. Okay, so he took over the whole of China. Um, and it wasn't exactly Chinese research, but it's Chinese culture, I suppose. So, you know, I find myself constantly reading about Chinese culture. And I like to think that if I'm keeping the sort of the information flow going, that new ideas are coming up for me. And then somehow those new ideas all find a way to percolate back into to what happens here on a Wednesday or generally what I'm sort of talking about. Uh, uh, and so um, I, I laughingly call it research. You know, somehow it does kind of fall into place. And with a bit of luck, it'll actually, you know, fall into place for you guys as well. Suddenly things will turn up and you'll think, oh, OK, that makes sense. And so... Um, the first thing that I was thinking about was the NHS. And that's kind of like, you know, take a big deep breath in. Now, you'll see why I was thinking about it. Well, hopefully you'll see why I was thinking about it. But I was just thinking, you know, um, what is it that we complain about, about the NHS? And actually, what we tend to complain about is the sort of the governmental aspect of it, is the, you know, the, what the government does with it, what the people uh, who administer it do. We very, very rarely find ourselves talking about, you know, the actual people inside. When you talk about the doctors and nurses and you just sort of think, angels, what amazing people. But it's the sort of structure that they're stuck in, the sort of societal structure that, you know, they, they have become part of, that makes their, their, you know, they do brilliant work. But then when we look at the NHS as a whole, we sort of think to ourselves, oh, it's such a, you know, a morass of kind of, you know, bad management and blah, blah, blah. And so on the, you know, there's a very sort of strange dichotomy. We find ourselves complaining on the one side about the NHS and also finding it impossible to complain about the NHS because there's such beautiful people working in it doing such amazing things. And so it's a really sort of strange. And then when you actually look at it closely, you sort of think, yeah, it's actually the governmental aspect of it that we don't like. What we really like is the people inside. And when it was last week when I was talking about society as being your second parent, you know, you have your own parents who sort of see you through, you know, the first sort of 20 years of your life or whatever. And then afterwards, you find yourself 
in this with this new parent which is society who are kind of guiding looking after you and holding you and I was just thinking again about the NHS you know how marvelous it is you know you fall over and there's someone to sort of pick you up and put a plaster over your cut and give you a kiss and say everything will be all right and that's ultimately what we want in our lives is for someone to turn around and say everything will be all right don't worry you know and that's it and so there are very very few people within our our lovely NHS that you know we really complain about apart from the kind of you know the sort of the grey management side of things, um, the, the, uh, and, uh, and of course the occasional doctor um, who has uh, unfortunately got himself a god complex. And I was thinking about that as well, and I was thinking, you know, what an astonishing position to be in, because you become, you know, sort of like a top-flight surgeon of some sort, and uh, we understand that surgery, and that everybody's different, and that surgery is a very sort of difficult thing, uh, but there, there sort of comes a stage where surgeons with you know we all understand that sometimes it doesn't work surgeons end up effectively killing people and and how much how must that feel to a person who's trying to do so much good losing a patient it's a terrible thing but it's a very sort of odd god place to be in to be you know legally able to kill people you know not kill them because when you think about it you rationalize it and you think well i did my best and they would have died anyway so i did you know blah 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 you can start to see where there are one or two people who might just lose the frame of reference, who might just lose the understanding behind that. And it must become a very extraordinary position for them to be in when they suddenly find themselves with the power of life and death in their hands. So generally speaking, we love all our NHS people, but occasionally they're ones who turn out to be absolute knobs. <laughs> and, uh, that, you know, that's just part of life and of course you know it doesn't matter whether you're working uh, at the top flight of surgery or you're working in office find people who are like that in every walk of life so be it um, but um, what I was really looking at there was the, uh, the the reference framework okay so this carries on from last week's chat just to explain a little bit about reference frameworks this is a concept that comes out of Dr. Pang's work, um, it comes to so Dr. Pang, founder of Zheneng Qigong, which I work with an awful lot. Um, but it also comes out of uh, Chinese psychology, which I've studied quite a bit. It also has a lot of um, connection to Western psychology as well. And so um, we have sort of, you know, lots of features with, uh, that are common with sort of, you know, Carl Jung and people like that. There's the, um, a very sort of, I'm just gonna make sure my phone switched off. Sorry, we've done that before we started. So we don't get disturbed. Um, yeah, so we have the, you know, a commonality across most psychology is this um, uh, framework that um, our, our lives are described by. Okay, so let's start with that and, and just sort of tease that. And so um, we have five selves in, um, in Zheneng Qigong science. Okay, so five selves, and they basically start off as... Um, primeval animal kind of self as it were and then we have uh, second-hand self self-information ego self and then true self okay so those are the five parts and i'll just very briefly recap on those so animal self we get you know that's the idea of um beings that haven't um that are able to assess the outside world but are not able to process the outside world. And so this is the same state we're in when we're children. We're able to take in things, we're able to you know, sort of see things, but we're not able to take, move to the second 
stage, which is to actually, um, what's the right word I'm looking for? Not rationalise, it's, um, uh, it's take the actual patterns of what we're seeing and give them meaning. And so that is where we move into our, our, our kind of adult self, where we're actually able to look around us and then give the things that we see meaning for us. And so we move up the kind of ladder from, you know, kind of almost like animals into sort of young children. And, and they have the same kind of level of understanding of the outside world. And then we move on to effectively what we would call consciousness. So we're now able to um, look at things and, and give them meaning. OK, so uh, then um, as our consciousness. OK, so I'm going to introduce this term early on. Uh, and it's e u n t. Okay, so I'm going to type it into the little box, into the chat box here, or I can't type it in Chinese. I shall type the pinyin for you. You'll be thrilled to hear. Um, so e microphone's in the way. U n t. So e u n t. Three separate characters in Chinese um, writing, as it were. And essentially, e u n t. Uh, describes our consciousness. So we're going to go and look at EUNT in much more detail today, but what we're doing is just doing a little bit of groundwork. Uh, and then the meditation that we get onto, Ming Jue meditation and some uh, right angle breathing, is about um, expanding that consciousness, about getting to know that consciousness better, those kind of ideas. Okay, so um, The next layer is our consciousness going out into the universe, detecting something, bringing that information back into us, and us creating meaning for it. So the first set of meaning that we're given is second-hand self, and those meanings tend to be given to us by our parents. So they go along the lines of, you know, big boys don't cry, um, you know, you're uh, a white male, um, uh, that's a black female, you know, whatever it might be, um, you're a Catholic, they're a Protestant, you know, all of these sort of things, you're British, they're, uh, you know, the German, whatever the story might be, we've been given all this information as we go along. And um, those are not necessarily our ideas, those are societal ideas. And, um, and, and, you know, parental ideas. And so the second-hand self is, is doused in all of this information, which we don't necessarily choose. And so on this, you know, talk, I've mentioned many times about that tricky period uh, that runs, uh, you know, from zero to about seven years old, where you're not able to really filter the information that you're given. You don't have any rationale behind, you know, if someone says... Um, you're white and that person's black, we don't like black people, uh, then you're not able to say that's wrong. You know, you, you don't have a judgment system in place. So you can't say, no, I don't believe that, you know. And so you just take on that information because that's kind of what your parents have given you or what your school has given you, what your nationality has given you, what your religion has given you. So those are the primary places that we, we gather this information from. Parents, school, nationality, religion, yeah, society effectively, as we know it. And so we soak up that information and that goes in at a very sort of deep um, subconscious level. 
uh, and, and lives with us for most of our lives unless we choose to do something about it. So that information penetrates deep and starts to become the triggers that, um, uh, that activate us through our lives. Okay, so we have this idea um, that uh, these deep-seated thoughts are able to create emotions or do create emotions. Uh, it's essentially, the deep thought triggers a chemical cascade and the chemical cascade then um, turns up as an emotion. And so, okay, I'll leave that thought. So that's the process behind that. Uh, we'll go into that in a little bit. Um, excuse me for a moment while I'm just digging out my notes here. Uh, I have uh, got some research work I've been doing around the subject of UMT, so I just want to make sure that I have it uh, available. Um, Right, okay, so that's the um, second-hand information that you are given effectively by your parents. Okay, so, uh, uh, and, and structures that we've discussed. So the next layer of that is, um, tends to start to build from about the ages of, of you know, 10, 7, 7 onwards, I believe. And that's where we're picking up what we call self-image. You know, you find that you're naturally good at sports and someone says, oh, you're a very good sports person. And then you think to yourself, oh, that's interesting. I'm a sports person. And so you tick that little uh, kind of box in yourself and think, oh, there we go. So now I'm a sports person. I didn't know about that, but apparently I am. Oh, you're so good at cricket. And well, apparently I'm a great cricketer now. You know, you're good at rugby. Oh, I'm a great all-rounder. You know, and then suddenly you start to um, dig through these ideas or these ideas start to meld themselves um, to each other. And uh, essentially, yeah, they become, they become you as well. They're stories that you tell yourself about yourself, as it were. They're stories that you pick up along the way. And I think that obviously relationship has a lot to do, this as, a lot to do with this as well. Because at some stage, you know, early on, we start to um, interrelate between the sexes and uh, um, uh, we start to find ourselves, you know, um, viewing ourselves in terms of others uh, as far as uh, our kind of relationship statuses are concerned. And what do I mean by that? Clearly, you know, I mean that uh, someone says, you know, you're a great lover, you're a terrible lover, you're a terrible person, you're, a, you know, best person in the whole world and all this information that you start to take on. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, part of it, it, the, the actual division between um, secondhand self and self-image is very, very fine. You know, does it fall into this category? Does it fall into that category? And actually we start to find that the division between secondhand self and ego is also almost indivisible as well. So these are just kind of little pigeonholes, but they don't really exist in any particularly incredibly, you know, uh, you know powerful way. They're just kind of concepts that we're working with. They give us a general idea of where we stand. Okay, so. <clears throat> Then we have the third sector, ego. And so ego, the idea of ego is kind of evolving for me 
and uh, I think it's evolving for for our teachers. I mean, I think the more that we talk about ego as a as a school, the more we start to understand it. And it was John who very recently, John, my teaching partner, who very recently said, um, uh, you know, I think ego is just willpower. And so, I, and I wanted to refine that, and I sort of thought I like that because willpower, yes, but perhaps what we're talking about when we talk about ego, i.e., things we don't, uh, we tend to use ego as a negative term uh, in the West. Although you know, scientifically speaking, or you know, um, it's not actually a negative term at all. It's just a term for a, a an aspect. Uh, and what we're looking at is the ego out of control. That's not uh, a thing that we like, and so therefore um, it would be badly expressed willpower would, would define ego perfectly. So I get exactly where, where John is coming from there. It's a, uh, it just takes a little refinement. I don't think all willpower is ego, but I also don't think that all uh, ego is willpower, if you see what I mean. It's about um, the way that it is expressed. So we have this ego, what is it all about? And teacher Lou always says that ego is a kind of protection system. When you have, um, ideas that have been deeply um, ingrained into your system, uh, then ego is there to protect those ideas. You have created this belief system that you are um, uh, deeply Catholic and uh, someone comes along and says to you, well, actually, I think, you know, Buddhism is better because, you know, Although it would be odd for a Buddhist to be quite so, <laughs> um, you know, but you get the idea. Uh, and, uh, and then what happens there is that, you know, what immediately happens is your ego jumps to the front and says, hold on a minute, I'm going to protect everything I believe in. So the ego becomes this kind of castellated wall that you throw up in front with soldiers standing on the top and cannons peering over, you know, that's going to sort of, you know, blow away anybody else who tries to, to assault your... Um, position. Gosh, the whole sort of idea of castles work really well. It works with ego, doesn't it? I mean, it's exactly that. It's like an assault on your position and uh, you defending your position, you know, deeply as it were. And so what we're doing there is um, we're, ego is, is essentially a tool. Um, and, and what we're always told about ego is that uh, um, we often hear, and, and unfortunately it does seem to be a sort of a Buddhist conceit, the idea that you know, the death of the ego, killing the ego and all of these things. But as my teachers always sort of say, actually, it's impossible to navigate this particular existence without ego. You just need to have ego in the right amount. You just have to have ego correctly sized. You just have to have ego that doesn't, um, that isn't underwritten by massive emotional, you know, waves, as it were. Uh, then you use ego as a, a, a tool to navigate your daily life. So the, the example is always uh, of the doctor. And the question is, you know, can the doctor then put down doctor persona at the end of the day and just become dad, you know, as opposed to uh, as opposed to being doctor all the time and not no longer, you know, knowing that there's a tool that can be put down, that the, the tool has become so deeply um melded to the human that it's no longer possible for the human to realize you know that there was a sort of true self behind all of this that actually you know they are just now um uh, doctor only and nothing else and so we have to understand that ego is a fantastic tool that's just placed in a box you put it on when you need to navigate a piece of life take it off and become ego less when you're just in your normal kind of you know resting family situation as it were or friendly situation and so ego downsized is a great thing. 
Okay, so um, and then the, far, the final part of the the five the sort of you know the five different lives. So just as a recap: nature self, uh, secondhand self, self information, ego self, and then at the top, you know, there's a judgment already: uh, true self. And uh, what is true self? So, and how does E one T relate true self? Well, it's one of the greatest kind of mysteries in Jinheng Qigong and the first kind of layer of, of um, obfuscation uh, around EUNT is the fact that it's had to be translated from Chinese into English, which has already taken, you know, a set of pictures that um, exist in Chinese people's heads and tried to put it into words that exist in English people's heads. So you've already lost a massive amount of kind of conceptual information there. Uh, and then tried to kind of rebuild it through a, a, a different system of understanding. So that in itself is a is a crazy starting point. Um, how would I describe EUNT for a kind of EUNT for a shorthand? Um, well, okay, let's set that aside for a moment and let's look at yin and yang. Yin and yang, um, when they describe to you a yin and yang and you start going into the functions of it, you know, we know it as being sort of black and white male and female, up and down, back and front, you know, the two sides of every coin. Then you start to realise that when you start looking at sort of, you know, acupuncture and Chinese medicine and things like that, that you have yin as being the solidity of an organ and yang as being the function of the same organ. You think, wow, hang on a minute, now we're getting a bit complex. So yin is actually the sort of, you know, the, like the meat of it, but yang is what it does. But it's still the same organ and it's still the same sort of thing. And so we start to get to this sort of slightly uh, dodgy ground where um, there's lots of lovely um, sayings uh, that we have, um, uh, which is such as kung um, kung dan dan, huang huang hu hu. Uh, and essentially what that means is empty, but not empty, or empty, yet not empty. <laughs> you sort of start thinking, oh dear, hang on a minute, you've lost me there. You know, so this is the sort of the impermanence of things. And uh, that's, you know, when we start to sort of see that throughout Chinese thinking, um, you know, we like things to be very permanent. We like science to sort of say, this is, and stick a pin in it. And then we think, oh, thank God for that. Now I know what it is. And we suddenly find ourselves a bit upset when it, the people sort of say, it is, but it isn't. You know, you think, okay, where am I left with that information? And of course, the more you dig into quantum science, the more you realize that that actually is the truth of things. We find that, you know, all these marvellous, I can never tell the story correctly, but you find that sort of things like, you know, if this is the nucleus of the atom, then the the electron will be in Swindon. You know, <laughs> what? Um, you know, all these sort of stories that, that everything is, is not as permanent as it appears to be. And the fact that, you know, my desk is solid right now, it, you know, is only just a luck uh, that it might actually apparently dissolve into nothing easily if I set my mind to it. And so, um, you know, you suddenly start to wonder why you haven't fallen through the floor and things like that. Believe you me, I'm sure it's all possible if you try your hardest. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we find that uh, in the quantum world that, in fact, there is this level of impermanence, impermanence, permeability, all those in things um, that, uh, that Chinese yin and yang theory starts to talk about as well. And so it's no surprise that when we come to EUNT, EUNT turns out to be one thing and another thing as well. <laughs> so just to keep the sort of, you know, the fluidity going. E1T is your kind of true self, is the sort of true consciousness of you. But E1T, the word, also can 
describes the container that holds your consciousness. All right, so it's both container and function. Okay, let's just go along with that. Um, and so from a short uh, shorthand uh, and from a very basic understanding that I, I, I have of it, you know, my feeling is that um, it's this idea that we have sort of Western spirituality, the idea that inside each person there's a sliver of God, you know, that uh, God's, you know, a, a, a chink of light inside each one of us that is God, that, you know, we are connected to the universal God, perhaps. Uh, and so I think this is what we're, we're, we're hacking away at when we start to talk about E1T. So it appears that E1T is your piece of the conscious whole. And I can't see, when we see everything in the terms of holism, when we see everything in the terms of holistic, uh, then it's impossible to divide consciousness, you know, your bit of consciousness from the universe's consciousness. It is just you and you are just it. And so, you know, this is this beautiful idea that everybody's God. You know, congratulations, you finally found out that you're God and so am I. You know, it's, it's wonderful. Um, so, yeah, we have. Uh, and of course, everybody likes to then try and kind of compartmentalize stuff. We need to do that. And that's definitely the Western scientific brain. Whereas the Chinese are very, very happy just to allow everything to be and not be. We don't like that. And so we start asking questions about, well, where is it? Where is this container? And I think that the answer to that is probably the pineal gland, if you want to have an absolute, you know. But I don't think it's only the pineal gland. So we start to talk about what can this consciousness do? And this takes us back to the layer between um, animal mind, if you like, uh, which they call natural mind, and, and, uh, and that's the sort of childlike state, and, and the adult side. Okay, so the difference between that is that your E1T has grown in potential that there is enough E1T to support the analytics behind consciousness. So that is why a child is not seen as having the ability to um, process on this level, and that by the time we get to the age of you know seven or eight, we're starting to have built up enough E1T, if you like, or enough, I don't think there's a question about us not ever having it, but having built up enough ability to, to move the E1T through the universe, to actually use it as a tool. So E1T becomes um, built up enough that we can start to use it like a searchlight, like a torch, shining your E1T out into the darkness and picking up the shapes of something and thinking, mm, okay, I think I've seen that shape before. I think that must be an orange, you know. And so we're starting to, and then you go, oh, no, no it's, it's a ball. Okay, suddenly two things. We've got ball, squish, squish, orange, mm, yum, yum. You know, so we've, we're slowly sort of working our way through these, these sort of concepts and using our E1T to start to kind of like uh, pad around, you know, the gaps in the world around us. And, uh, and it is through uh, the practice of EUMT that we start to build up our framework. Okay, so framework as a whole, we tend to use it in the same way as, as, as we talk about ego. When we say ego, we tend to think, oh, bad thing, you know, terrible thing. But as I've said to you, you know, ego actually should really not be, it should just be a tool. 
And when we talk about in Jinan Qigong, often you'll find them discussing reference framework. And essentially, reference framework um, is um, the whole of this stuff that I've been discussing. And, and often what is said is that the true self, the E1T, the kind of the beautiful E1T self, is covered over by your reference framework. Um, and so in that way, reference framework sort of gets a slightly bad rap because it feels like reference framework has got in the way of true self. But that is just the nature of being a human being, essentially that um, they often say true self is covered over by reference framework. So what's required here is for us to start to look at reference framework. And um, as we, we've gone through our lives, um, I, I like the model uh, of the four stages of our lives. And effectively, um, it's the four score um, story. Uh, and, I, and often uh, you hear sort of, you know, three score and ten in the Bible, I think it is. Uh, but four, he had lived to be four score years, which is 80. So a score is 20. And, uh, uh, and it gives you four sections of life. Uh, I don't for a moment believe that 80 should be your target. I think 125 should be your target. And uh, if we look at um, the longevity of ants and we look at the longevity of elephants and of um, uh, uh, what a bit a long neck giraffe that's right you know and then you extrapolate and you go through humans you find that we should live to 125 years old so i'm suggesting everybody make that as a target uh, and if you don't quite make it then you can be surprised but you know i'm looking forward to celebrating my 125th birthday i think it's a great idea uh, i have a lot to teach as you may have gathered and uh, and then i've got a lot of work to do after that to get rid of all this nonsense that i'm building up inside uh, yes, yeah, so so we have this kind of idea that um, it's a bad thing, that we're sort of covering over this beautiful true self with all this kind of garbage. Uh, but actually, uh, it's required in order to um, work our way through the stages of our lives. And so the, the model of four stages of life is called um, warrior, scholar, teacher, sage. Warrior, for the first 20 years of your life, you're very outgoing. You're very kind of like, you know, out there. Wah! You know, you're doing all your fighting, you're doing your crazy times. Uh, then you move into your second phase, 20 to 40, where you become scholar, where you really start to learn about life. And it's interesting that scholar doesn't start at 10. Scholar actually starts at 20. And uh, where we start to realise that you're learning the real lessons of life, not sort of the junk that's being put in your head at school. You know, you're really learning how to live and you're learning through your children and things like that. But between the ages of 40 to 60, you become teacher. And that's where you've learned an awful lot and you feel that it's now valuable for you to impart this information, sometimes at length. Oh dear, sorry people. You know, um, but you feel it's time for you to sort of, you know, send all the information back. It's good news for you because if this works in a completely kind of like you no know, linear basis, I'll only be teaching for another couple of years before I should move into my sage, 
um, kind of uh, 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 sitting on top of a mountain cross-legged and stop talking. <laughs> but anyway, let's hope that uh, perhaps I can squeeze the, ooh, I can squeeze the, the teacher bit a little bit longer than that. Yeah, and then the idea is that, you know, Sage moves on from 60 to 80, where you again move back inside and you draw the information back to yourself and you, you know, sit on your mountain top and you discover the universe. So I, I, like the, I like the pattern. But what we're doing is we're building up the framework that's going to allow us to be this person. Uh, and, you know, as, as I always say, most people, their developmental ages stop at about the ages of 12. They never really get past that. You know, the people who are, you know, only ever get as far as 12 are living in sort of, you know, 50 year old bodies and still shouting like 12 year olds. And of course, the perfect example being Parliament. Um, and so, yeah, so what I was uh, um, uh, thinking of there was that anybody who's on this call has definitely got beyond the age of 12. So congratulations, you can pat yourself on the back at having developed beyond that age, you know, because just being a seeker of any sort shows development beyond 12, rather than just saying, I know everything now, I've heard everything I want to hear, now I'm just going to regurgitate it again and again and again until I die. And so great, you've become a seeker, congratulations, well done for being here, pat yourself on the back for starters. So yeah, we have this idea of reference framework, not a bad thing, just a thing, just another thing. Ego, not a bad thing, just another thing. Uh, but essentially what we're trying to do is work our way through the reference framework. Um, <laughs> thanks, Sarah. Um, what we're trying to do is to work our way through the reference framework and start to, to um, turn the journey around. And so, you know, you sort of see the journey more like a sort of a horseshoe or a spiral or something like that, going out from this start point and curling out in a huge loop and eventually slowly coming back towards your start point, which is, you know, moving yourself back to being a much more pure version of yourself that's no longer triggered by the kind of the emotions. And so uh, forgive me now, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through some of Dr. Pang's notes, because I think it's much more important that... Um, we have, you know, absolute clarity about this rather than just my interpretation of it. So everything you've heard so far today has been filtered through my reference framework. And so, you know, Dr. Pang is the guy who put this theory together. I think it's important that we hear from him rather than we hear, you hear from me. Um, and so some of it is relevant. Some of it's rather dense. You know, some of it's quite mind blowing. But um, I've got, yeah, OK, let's see how much to get through. I found a little definition of E1T a while back, and I'll just review it. It says, E1T, Jinang Jigong term for the source of our consciousness. E1T receives and understands information, reflecting on the universe within the limits of our reference framework we build up through our lives. It can also send information, including have the ability to affect objects and living creatures. Okay, let's just look at that for a moment. So you have your EUNT inside. The process of understanding something is to effectively project your EUNT to it. And then the reflection back is like sonar, if you like. You ping out and the information comes back to you. And then it's filtered by your reference framework. And um, that is the understanding of that object you have just assessed. Um, that is how it works in the common mind. OK, so um, let's just have a little look at some of these comments. Uh, one of the questions Dr. Pang was asked was around um, the actual structure of EUNT. And he says, basically, 
The phrase, it's a phrase from one of the teaching books, E1T, is a form of chi um, with simple structure. Okay, so he says um, there are three categories of human chi. E1T consists of less quality of chi, but is mainly filled with information of time and space. Okay, so the suggestion there is that we have chi, and we know sort of chi is the energy in our body, but E1T is loosely kind of connected with chi, and is also carried by chi, moved with chi, as a kind of almost like a vehicle. Chi is almost like a vehicle for our E1T. And so it is a kind of chi idea, but actually it's much more um, uh, dealing with information. So when we talk about um, uh, chi, space and information, it's a very sort of common model in Jinang Qigong. We have the chi, we have not chi effectively, which is space, being and non-being. Then we have the information layer and uh, all information, consciousness of the universe exists and has existed and always will exist and never kind of breaks down. So sorry, I realize we've already gone taken a very deep step into a very, very deep pond. And uh, uh, yeah, so um, the universe, the structure of the universe, blimey, how did we get here? The structure of the universe is effectively chi and information and space. So our E1T is constantly out there kind of feeling into this structure, uh, listening to the information of the universe around us and effectively um, bringing back that information to us. Okay, so um, goes in to give a, a little sort of um, structural information about what it's like, and I don't think that's particularly useless. Uh, and then one of the students sort of says to him, um, is it kind of like a, a build-up of numbers of EUNT? And he basically says, no, there's just one EUNT. It's formed when the chi of the central nervous system has reached a certain degree of concentration and quality. So we get this idea that in our CNS, in the central nervous system, that's where EUNT resides. And so it's part of that sort of consciousness of us. And it says that, you know, he says that when you've reached a certain degree of concentration quality, so that's this sort of moving from children into um, adult stage, then it can start to reflect the objective world outside and can further process the images um, in second reflection system okay so the second reflection system no longer consists of just the images um, but it now can work into an abstract of give us a concept so we call it e1t when the chi of the central nervous system can do that when the chi uh, if the chi of the central nervous system could only reflect the outside world but not process it it's not known as e1t it's known as now unt so here's a new term for me, Maoyuanti. But that's effectively the animal version of it uh, and the children version of it. Um, it's called Maoyuanti before it develops into Iyuanti. Younger children only have the image memory, not the conceptual memory. Um, we only address the chi of the central nervous system as Iyuanti when it can actually effectively process imagery into concepts. He goes on to say, E1T is extremely refined and, um, oh, okay, let's have a look at this. 
When we say it's extremely even, we don't mean that there's absolutely no difference inside it at all times, because essentially what happens is EU1T has its own kind of initiative. At the, at the instance when it's formed, um, it develops the characteristics uh, to reflect the outside world. So essentially, when you first arrive with your EUMT, it stay, it, it, you know, when it first forms, it's absolutely even and pure and, and kind of un, uh, unaffected, if you like. But the more you use it to reflect the outside world, um, it no longer stays absolutely even and pure inside. It's like a mirror, whatever it reflects will change the evenness of the picture in the mirror. Information that went inside earlier starts to form your reference framework. So that's the idea of EUMT building the reference framework for you. It pings out to the outside world and it draws back the information to you. And that starts to build up the kind of reference framework inside you. Okay, so let's see if we can get some more information out of this. Okay, so this is, I think, probably one of the most critical parts to it. One of his students goes on to ask, he says, uh, and I think he's quoting something from Dr. Pang's book. He says, we say that Hunyuan Chi is large. Okay, sorry, I, again, I've just used a term there, which we haven't used before. Hunyuan Chi, that's basically all of the energy of the entire universe. So he says, you know, we say that Hunyuan Chi, the entire universe of Chi, is large without boundaries, small without inner space. In other words, Hunyuan Chi is absolutely everything. And we also say that Hunyuan Chi is commanded by our minds. So can we say the mind and mental power is also large without boundless, without boundlessness, without boundaries? So Dr. Pang says, the endlessness here refers to the degree of refinement. You should not try to figure out logically about the refinement of EUNT. You have to perceive it through practice. Trying to apply common knowledge to think, to explain and to deduce, deduce logically is bad for your Qigong practice. Doing this, you will not go very far. Okay, so hold that thought. At the moment, do not think about such problems. At this moment, when you think about it using your ordinary thinking, not holistic thinking, you're not able to figure out the holism of a substance. Common knowledge belongs to the ordinary capabilities of thinking. You can only apprehend certain facts, facets of a substance. Extraordinary capability is holistic thinking. It's able to apprehend the holistic characteristics of a subject. Okay, so that's a huge mouthful. The one thing that I really take away from this, and I'm gonna go into this very briefly now uh, about the um, extraordinary capabilities and the holistic thinking. The really important thing to, to take away from this, in my opinion, is this question here. Trying to apply common knowledge to think, to explain and deduce logically is bad for your Qigong practice. You will not go very far. So I think that's really key. So essentially, I'd just like to say that what I've been doing is bad for our practice. What we've been talking about here is bad for our practice. It's going to limit us. 
Okay, so let's just stop and have a little think about that for a moment. Hmm. I think this is one of the important keys. So I'm going to dump my notes now. Um, I think that's one of the important keys to our to our story is that by pigeonholing all this information and thinking that we have it pigeonholed, uh, that we understand the structure of the universe, we're going to severely limit ourselves. We're never going to really truly be able to get to it. So let's just have a look at the, digest the information and then put it to one side. So we have this idea that the universe is filled with this under, undifferentiated chi, that we have this ability, our consciousness, to interact with this undifferentiated chi and move it from non-being into being. That is how we create our universe. So we are these wonderful conscious beings, and when we put our minds to it, uh, we are able to make things appear out of our universe. That is how everything around you exists. Uh, we live consciously. But what we've done is that we've created a very common story. There's a car engine outside my window. I can see a car. I know it's got an engine inside. The concept engine, we all kind of concept, conceptually understand that. Engine made out of metal. You conceptually understand that. But when you look at a piece of metal, you're not getting the full information of the metal. Your common mind looks at the surface, and that's what you see. You think, okay, it's a cube. Uh, it looks, sounds, feels cold, hard, must be metal. That's the end of the information. You can take an atomic microscope and look inside it and discover that inside it there are millions of atoms and molecules. Using your extraordinary capabilities, get back to that in a minute, stick a pin on that, it's possible for you to experience that metal in a different way. An interesting thing is that Dr. Pang says, if you look at that, apparently is a cube of metal that we're not talking about, if you look at that cube of metal and uh, you just think, oh, a cube of metal, you've actually shut down your ability for extraordinary capability to, to work here. When you first encounter it, you have to think, ah, what's the structure of this? What's inside it? And then you'll be able to penetrate it with your U1T. So if your first reaction is just to say, I know what it is, uh, and use your standard set of capabilities to judge something, then that's pretty much going to make it much more difficult for you to then go deeper and understand more about it. If you experience something with a completely open perceptual mind, with your extraordinary capabilities uh, open, you're going to be able to penetrate and understand something much more easily. So there's a, a whole story here around... Um, uh, the, the world that we live in, how we interact with the world, and what on earth are extraordinary capabilities? So that's probably something important, is that as we work away with our Qigong, the more you practice, the more you work away with your sort of meditation, the more you work away with your visualizations, the more you work away with these tools, the more you move the framework aside, the more you're able to experience your extraordinary capabilities. 
And extraordinary capabilities are often talked about in China. You know, we hear these masters that can be in two places at one time, people who can walk through walls, people who can... I mean, I saw a, a guy demonstrating that he could throw a chopstick through a railway sleeper, you know, at about sort of 10 metres, just flick it out, and it went straight through a sort of big, thick railway sleeper. So how on earth does that occur? You know, these, these are extraordinary capabilities. That's manipulating the chi of the universe in a different way. Can I do that? Can you do that? Everybody can do that. The problem is that um, your um, reference framework is currently limiting your ability to do that. So you've been told that uh, railway sleepers are solid, and so therefore the chances of you throwing a solid um, uh, chopstick through it are probably 99.9% you know, impossible. Um, however, as you then work with your Qigong, develop your special abilities, uh, you will be able to manipulate space-time qi in different ways. So there's no real, you know, Dr. Pang says every single person is born with special capabilities, some special capability better than others. And so you, you might find that you're the person who can chuck, you know, um, uh, chopsticks through railway sleepers, but you have absolutely no ability to heal or uh, to whatever, you know, to... to, to jump 20 feet, you know, whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah, and then the next person might have the ability to jump 20 feet, but chuck a roll with, uh, you know, think through a while we sleep, but no. So, you know, everybody, like character, you know, everybody has will have different abilities, and some you'll be able to do much better than others. But the point about it is that that kind of thinking is knocked out of us at such an early stage. The potential for you to do it is really, really difficult, slim, low. Um, Sahara has asked about how does Yuan-Ti relate to Hunyuan-Chi? Okay, so hopefully covering that idea as we go along. Um, the idea is that Yuan-Ti uh, is kind of manipulates the chi of the universe uh, and um, also moves with the chi of the universe. Okay, so in the human body that is, sorry. Um, so essentially it's the, it's the third part of the story, um, chi being, non-being, and EUNT is able to change the state of the universe. So this is exactly what we're talking about, special uh, uh, exceptional capabilities, EC. So our uh, ability to develop EC um, is our, our ability to develop our EUNT to such an extent that we can manipulate the chi of the universe, but also that we can project our EUNT into the, the world and understand it at a different level. So this is what Teacher Lu talks about, about new world thinking. So if you've ever seen, he draws a diagram where there's one circle and inside it, there's a billion sort of, you know, he puts thousands of dots and squiggles and shapes. And then he basically sort of says, you know, he just rubs a little patch out and he sort of says, this is where you're working from. You're in this little dot here in the middle of this maelstrom of kind of nonsense. And he sort of said, from where you're sitting, you know, you can sort of see a bit of things. You can move a little bit. You can make yourself a little bit of space. You can, but, you know, it's all very crowded in there. Um, and it's that sort of, you know, how are you going to solve a problem using the same thinking that created the problem story? Um, because you're always in this old world, old world state of thinking. So if we do our exercises, we do our qigong, we do our um, 
Mingjue meditation, our right angle thing, breathing, our, all these little tools that we use, we start to develop our exceptional capability. And that helps us to move from the old world way of thinking into the new world way of thinking. And the new world way of thinking, Lou draws another circle over here, which is completely empty, has nothing inside it at all. And he says, put yourself inside here. You know, so if you're inside this little dot, inside this maelstrom of craziness, how are you ever going to get, you know, penetrate through? You might be able to gently, easily, slightly, you know, develop things. You, know, you might be able to kind of like understand a little bit of the surroundings, you know. But he says, you know, what you have to do is lift yourself out of that world entirely and place yourself in this world. And if you place yourself in this world, looking back at that world, you'll understand things much more easily. You'll get a far better grasp of how, how things work. And so in the old world, as a story unfolds in your old world, then it triggers deep emotion or it triggers deep the reference framework at a deep level. And the information you have stored at the deep level then triggers an emotional thought, and then the emotional thought creates a chemical cascade. So it goes from being an electrical impulse or electronic impulse, as it were, to then being a chemical cascade, which cascades through your body. And then we have feelings and then we get upset. And so that you know piece of information had this radical effect upon you because of the reference framework you've built up over the years. Over here, that piece of information uh, doesn't affect you because you no longer have a reference framework to cover you. You have moved into this state of being where you're no longer being operated by the old ways. And you can have a look at them and you can think to yourself, is that relevant to me anymore? Is that something that should trigger me? Why did it trigger me? What was that all about? Uh, is that a bad thing or a good thing? You know, you're able to put your own sort of... Um, judgment on it that's not clouded by negativity, not clouded by the old patterns. And in fact, it's much more about not having judgment at all in the new world way of thinking. It's about being non-judgmental. It's about seeing the bigger picture of the universe. It's about understanding. And so when you find that other people trigger you, when you find that someone says something hurtful and you bite. That is always their problem, not your problem. And it's a very sort of, it's very easy to be affected by it. So what happens is that they feel insecure, they feel deeply unhappy about something in their lives. So they express something, and very often something hurtful. And if it reflects on you, if it actually goes into some part of your structure and triggers it, then the whole chemical, electrochemical process goes through and you end up feeling emotions. So when someone does something to you, the question is, what inside you has it triggered? Because that's their shit, excuse the French. That is their problem. You know, they, they, whatever they're dealing with is their thing. It's not got anything to do with you at all. However, it has kicked off something inside of you. Something at a deep level, you've thought, 
I've felt this hurt before. People have said this thing before. It must be me. Why am I so bad? Or it must be, you know, I'm better than this, uh, but they're still being unkind. Whatever it is, you know, it's triggered that set of emotions inside you. So it's a pattern inside you that you need to define, need to find and dissolve effectively. Find and negate. So being in the heart of that maelstrom, it's impossible, not impossible, but it's very, very difficult to navigate your way through those set of emotions. The best thing, the first starting point, is to realise that that person's stuff is their stuff. No matter what they say, yeah, keep that. And if they say you're a bad person, you say, that's up to you, you keep it. I think that probably means you're a bad person, but I'm not going to say anything like, you know, don't say it to them. Just think, yeah, what you said, back to you, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, but what we're talking about here is, is um, how to deal with this situation. So we work away. We thin out our reference framework. We work away with our qigong. We move ourselves into this other world. We stand back from our lives and we view. So this is the Eckhart Tolle becoming the observer. Uh, it's this idea that we stand back and we're able to observe what's going on in that old life, but from a new perspective. It's being able to stand there and use our special capabilities to really understand what happens. And to stand, stand back from that and, and to hear the person say, you're a bad person, and then, and then penetrate with your ear on T their situation and understand the deep pain that that person is feeling. Understand at the deepest of levels where their hurt lies. And to, 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 to not have your thing go off, just to, to feel the compassion and the pain in the other person's life. You know, that's where the, the sort of the e T uh, structure um, really lies. It lies at universal compassion level. It lies as, at, at, you know, being love, the entire universe being love, and being able to understand that when someone says something, when something happens, when a war takes place, that there is a deeper understanding behind these things. Never take it at face value. And that's why I always say, Fact check everything I say. Never believe a single word I say. It's just my filter set. So you have to work out your own filter set. You know, this blah is something that you should really, really dig very deeply into and think maybe he's completely wrong about that. And I'm, oh, I'm absolutely certain I am. So I think it's important for you to build your own set. But, you know, the idea is that, you know, hopefully there's a signpost over there points you in the direction. OK, so here we find ourselves in this uh, conversation. Um, we've, we've worked our way into the new world and what we're hoping to do is to try and spend more time in the new world and less time in the old world. More time where we can look back and think to ourselves, wow, the old Jeremy would really have bitten on that. Uh, the new Jeremy is just sort of thinking, mm, okay, fair enough. That's the way the world works in that sort of framework uh, uh, and it's not something that's going to you know, get to me. So how do we work on our EUNT? How do we develop our EUNT? What can we do about that? And uh, that's this Ming Jue meditation that we've been using. So we'll run through Ming Jue meditation again. And uh, I, I mentioned very briefly the right angle breathing. So right angle breathing is this simple thing uh, where what you're doing is you're sort of taking breath in through your third eye 
right into the very centre of your brain and then breathing up into the blue sky and then gathering the blue sky information down to the centre of your brain and out into the universe. So we did this lovely kind of right angle through the centre of the head. But it was interesting, um, I saw in one of the, the sort of comments that Dr Pang made, he said, what you can actually do is you can refine the chi at your third eye uh, and then that's going to help you to kind of filter information much more easily. So I thought, oh, that's really interesting because there's a lot of kind of, you know, practices that involve this kind of third eye breathing, if you like, um, you know, or concentrating your mind on the third eye. So a third eye effectively sits between the eyebrows. Uh, where are they? Here, just above the nose. There's a, a point right in between, um, which is called um, in tongue in Chinese. Um, uh, yeah, in time. And essentially that is the sort of the gateway that goes in. And the third eye is not called eye for, for no reason. It is like a lens and the lens goes through into the mechanism behind whatever that might be, let, you know, E1T, uh, etc. And so what we're doing is we're using third eye to kind of uh, gain better focus on uh, the information that's coming in. And going out as well, because, you know, if, if what you're doing is sending out um, to determine something from your beautiful, clear, true self, you're sending information out through this foggy mosaic of, uh, you know, rubbish you've built over the years, you're not going to get very clear information back. So we're going to, you know, it's, it's dual purpose, cleansing the sort of the inside structure, but also make sure that the information that comes back through is much more and easily able to go through. So we can use a little right angle breathing, very simple tool, just to kind of get ourselves um, functioning, if you like, on a better level. And so it's a very, very simple tool, this idea that the universe is a, is a, a gorgeous kind of um, clear, perfect uh, version of yin and yang. So just to make sense of that, the earth is yin, the heavens are yang, the horizon line out in front of you is perceptually, conceptually, the idea where they would be in perfect balance. So if what you're doing is extending yourself out to the horizon, drawing back perfect balance chi inside, and then up into the blue sky, Dr. Pang's idea of beautiful, clear blue sky, no imperfection, drawing the chi back into the center of your brain. It's just about stimulating this kind of, you know, perfectness inside your um, UNT structure, inside your true self. So I think that that's just a good practice to get your um, clarity working, shall we say. And then after that, I'll guide you through the Ming Jue meditation. Very simple. Uh, all we do with Ming Jue is we just kind of, um, yeah, we don't know, it, it's self-descriptive. You just sit in a nice kind of comfortable way and eventually expand your consciousness into the universe and expand your consciousness into your body and then kind of expand your consciousness into whatever. Let's just see. Um, is there anything else that needs to be said? Colin, what I'll do is I'll, I'll um, review your questions and see if I didn't answer them. And, uh, and I suspect it's that, you know, I, it felt to me a bit of a kind of like a, a whiplash, a kind of like a, you know, when I read that comment that basically said, if you keep thinking about this on a common mind basis, it's going to affect your practice. It's kind of like, you know, whiplash. OK, Dr. Pang, I get it. You know, it's this idea that if you continue to try and analyse it, you're going to just lock yourself into an analytical kind of um, circle. 
you know, something like that, where you never free yourself and actually see the top of the mountain. It's, you know, climbing up there and getting to the, the plateau and thinking, wow, that's fantastic, you know, now I've made it. It's only sort of been a 10 years later when you actually manage to get the clouds to clear away, you find the true peak is actually up there. And so don't limit yourself by using your common mind thinking would be what Dr. Pang would say. He'd say, now you have a concept, work harder at clarifying all of your question mind, your reference framework mind, break through that and move on to your extraordinary capabilities so that you don't have to ask Jeremy to answer the question. You have to, that you experience the truth of it yourself. Because as we've noticed, I'm not very good at doing it. And I'm just as foggy as everybody else. But um, I'd like, you know, just to, to say, uh, I appreciate your questions. And I think it's great. You give me the fuel uh, to make me kind of go looking for the answers. So thank you very much for that. Um, however, the answer is, don't ask me, ask yourself, is the real truth of it. And this is what Dr. Pang was saying about uh, experiencing something through your common thinking. You look at it and you think, you know, oh, I see this and uh, it's a pen and uh, that's just the way that is. In fact, actually, you know, what we're talking about is experiencing that on a much, much deeper level and finding much deeper knowledge. OK, people, so um, I'm aware of the fact that there seems to be um, my camera sort of doing a bit of a weird flashy, flashy thing. People are dropping in and out of the call. So I'm slightly worried that we're that I'm losing you, but I'm just going to battle on. And uh, as you know, this talk will go straight up onto my YouTube site for further reference. And of course, the other idea is that um, you can get through the first hour just by fast forwarding, you know, 60 minutes in the YouTube and uh, just do the meditation bit without all the blah again. So let's just hope that everything's working. And if there's something you missed, you need to catch up on. You'll be able to get it on YouTube in a little while. If my if it went in and out or whatever, then hopefully, you know, <clears throat> yeah, you could, um, yeah, subscribe to my YouTube channel. <laughs> and uh, and every time I put a new tube up, new YouTube up, it'll be delivered to your inbox. How fantastic is that? You wouldn't need to. Yeah, sorry. Just cheap advertising, really. OK, people, let's do some um, right angle breathing. Then uh, we'll just uh, segue from right angle breathing to doing our um, uh, Ming Jue meditation. So let me just grab my notes about Ming Jue. I'm prepared. Okay, so our first thing, use your story. Just get yourself set into a nice, comfortable position. We'll do our right angle breathing. So we're thinking pineal gland as being the kind of possible location for this marvellous EUNT device. But of course, we find that EUNT is the structure. So perhaps that, you know, the structural thing may be the pineal gland. It might be one cell in the pineal gland. Who knows? But that gives you a kind of a, a location. But we also realise that it is also the function. So that is the consciousness of the entire universe. Uh, so we get the idea that we're going to try and stimulate this point somewhere deep inside the brain. And uh, when we do that, that gives us a better connection out into the entire universe. OK, so we'll use our right angle breathing to get that kind of idea going. Concept of coming from the very centre of the brain out through the third eye, off to the horizon to gather wonderful chi, breathing in this wonderful chi in through the third eye into the centre of the brain. 
The next breath will take us up into the blue sky, up through the top of the head. So Bai Hui is the crown of the head. So you go out through Bai Hui, up into the blue sky. And again, just by sort of concentrating on Bai Hui, we're kind of um, improving the ability to connect upwards into the blue sky and then drawing that down into the centre of the brain, filling your brain with this lovely blue sky chi. So let's just start by sitting comfortably, closing the eyes, bringing the mind back into the centre. Bringing the mind back into the very core of your brain. Experiencing the core of your brain. Gentle breathing. So I often start with two or three breaths in through the nose. I kind of imagine my nose, the kind of the way that the shape of the, the nose, not the shape, the kind of the angle of your nostrils, are kind of aimed into the centre of your brain almost. So what I do is I kind of take a breath in through the nostrils and imagine it can kind of penetrate right into the centre of my brain. So take a breath in and imagine breathing all the way up your nostrils right into the centre of the brain. So imagine that makes the centre of the brain glow. Then you breathe out, you can just relax. doesn't matter how, where you breathe out, just breathe. Stimulate the centre of your brain by breathing in directly through the nostrils, right into the centre. And then breathe out and relax. Third time, just drawing the breath up your nostrils straight delivered into the centre of the brain. And just gentle breathe. Each time you breathe in, just imagine it's like fanning ember fire. Gentle breath in makes the centre of your brain. Gentle breath out. Just gently started this little glow in the centre of the brain. Now we have a kind of an idea of roughly where the location is for our right angle breathing. So we can start from the centre of the brain, just breathe into the centre of your brain, let it illuminate. Our first, first breath out goes out through the third eye and way off to the horizon. On the horizon, breathe in and draw this amazing chi back deep inside. Illuminate the centre of your brain. Now we go up. When you breathe out, you're going up through the, the byway up into the blue sky. Breathe in, it's drawing blue sky down through byway into the centre of your brain. Exhale forwards and out into the, to the horizon. Breathe in and gather the horizon chi into the centre of your brain. Exhale up into the blue sky. Blue sky chi into the centre of your brain. Exhale out, way off into the horizon. 
Inhale this perfect balance horizon chi through your third eye center. Exhale, center of the brain, up through by way, out into the blue sky. Breathe in and draw blue sky chi down center of the brain. Run through half a dozen more breaths like that. Out distance. Out into the blue sky. Burn time. So one more breath in each direction. Finish your breath. Leave yourself gently breathing in the center of your Soft, gently, easy breath. Just feel the center of your brain. Deep in the center of the brain is known as Shenji Palace. Further stimulated, just say, Shen. Breathe in. Calling the center of the center of the brain expand.
experience the center. subtle side become more silent and internalized. It exists in the core of your now expand self without personal needs out in merge yourself with feel this true universal change Now draw this universal chi back inside. Wrap it up again. Fill your brain with this universal chi. Your ability to draw this chi inside. Your ability to experience the entire universe inside. Really understanding the holism now. Understanding. Truly are. Never separate. Feel inside your head, inside your consciousness is very gentle, very light, very inside your shoulder, inside your upper arm, forearms, even inside your chest and back. Observe behind your breastbone, your energy. Tiens, feet inside. Feel your spine. Feel the whole of your spine.
belly, deep inside your belly, lower your chin. Behind your breastbone, middle down to your center of your brain, upper down three. Just experience them. Consciousness experiences into the center of the Feel into your hips, feel into your joints, into your thighs, inside your knees, inside your arms, oh. heels, feet and toes. Feel the consciousness expanding inside your body. Feel your chi also expanding inside. Chi expanding out into the whole universe. No longer tiny you. Now becoming amazing universal you. Feel pure awareness throughout your entire body. Whole. Merging inside and outside. Entire. I'm going to say shoo. We say shoo, it just allows the inner space to become finer. Merge the inner space and better with the. You breathe in. Merge into Space G pure as you in a smile, full joy experience. Say shoo deeply inside, quietly. 
pure. See yourself as total consciousness. They're aware consciousness is aware. to nothing. Each time you say shoe, it's clear, purer. Business begins to know itself. Observe yourself saying Before you say shoe, feel that you information. Feel that information become structure. That instruction become. Feel that thought, feeling. of shoe construction then Feel the moment say Feel the intention say Attention leads to the motivation, say. Motion of shoe appears. It's like pure movement. 
experience this powerful moment. Experience this powerful moment. This power and become. This moment appear, dissipate. Practice it with as before. To experience the moment you say second penetrate this moment to every cell of your hold this precious moment and deliver it every cell of your your consciousness filters into every cell of your You don't have to think of what healing you require. Consciousness of the universe already knows. Send this consciousness into every cell of your body. Flush it through your Pure consciousness in every cell of your Create instant healing by sending this information, allowing it to percolate through every cell of your In a moment, things change. Feel the truth. Pure consciousness, every cell of your Say sure. Experience the moment.
experience the moment, you say. Hold this moment, project it out to whoever needs it, and ask how to send it, send it. Send your information to them. They do with it what they need. Thoughts, moment, this expression before you. Injected into their lives. Healthy information. Injected into them. Don't get attached to the outcome. Just allow it to be. Consciousness is a very free state. No fixation. Don't care about the results. Just plant the seeds and the results will appear. Keep relaxed and very pure. Say shoo whenever you need to make the statement. It trains your stability and power. Sending this pure essence universal love. This is real universal compassion. So you practice this for yourself. Universal compassion helps to heal others as well. Yourself back into your space in your head. Heal once more in head and neck and shoulders and arms, spine and ribs and hips, thighs and knees, calves and feet. Feel into the centre of your brain, the energy field there. Feel into the centre of your chest, the energy. Deep into your belly. Feel both the whole universe and your universe. No inside, no outside. Everything harmonized. Enjoy this huge harmonious entity. When we stay in this harmonious state, that harmonious state ripples out throughout the whole world. Try to keep this state. Try to keep sending this healing to yourself and others. Do your practice of Qigong in this state. So we draw our practice slowly to a close. Feel your body. Start to experience the 3D reality of your absolute movements just to release and relax. And then let's just draw our hands onto our bellies. So normally left hand on for guys, right hand on for legs. Just hold your hands over the belly. I'm just going to circle around three times, like a little circle around the belly, anti-clockwise, but if you find yourself going the other way, it doesn't matter. Three circles round, sort of draws the chi into the centre of your body. And then three circles the opposite way, 
the signals to your body the practice is over and hold all this energy inside just kind of stick it deep inside close our system down to a nice kind of daily mode where we can operate without losing lots of energy keeping this great information deep inside us So relax our hands to the sides, move the body a little bit. When you're ready, you can open your eyes, you can stretch the body a nice long stretch. Put a smile on your face. Keep that Ming Jue state all day long. Radiate that Mingjue consciousness out wherever you go and whoever you deal with. You'll change your life and you'll change the world. Now you'll change your wellness, your health deeply. Keep this other world consciousness where you can step back and look at what's going on. No longer going round in other people's dramas kind of attachment beauty emanating from you that's how you heal yourself lovely okay well i hope you've enjoyed this and as i said you know if any of it's sort of wobbled there'll be up online you can go and check it back again if you just fancy doing the ming jue fast forward to the last 30 minutes so it'll be up on youtube my website i think it's just called you know youtube slash jeremy college or something like that always google me or search me on youtube you'll find uh, i've got something called the intranaut podcast intranaut journeying inside on an astronaut Elon musk don't look outside mate have a look inside i wish he was spending all that money on looking inside wouldn't it be a better world other than just trying to find a way to escape <laughs> well anyway when he's gone he's gone that's fine um Okay, so yeah, all that's left to do is to, is to say hala, hala, everything is good already. So hala, uh, we basically put our hands up in the air, I say one, two, we go hala, and eventually uh, uh, the idea behind hala is just to affirm the fact that all the healing you've already done, it's already sorted, already fixed. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to unmute everybody, we'll all say hala together. Um, three times. Great, so hands up in the air. Add to two. One, two. Howla. One, two. Howla. Great. Once more. One, two. Howla. Fantastic. Very good. Excellent. We're getting more and more coordinated with our howlas across different nations, time zones, etc., etc. It's getting better and better. All the practice that's required. Very good. Thank you very much, for everyone, for being here. Tomorrow, 9.30, is a Qigong class. Tomorrow, 6.30, there's a Qigong class on the same channel. Come and do some exercises with me. Lots of love. Have a brilliant consciousness field day. Okay, cheers, everyone. Bye, then. Bye. 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 Bye.